So today, again, we are in our final week of the series, It Is Well, talking about an aspect of health that I believe is so important, but few of us actually associate it with, with health, and yet it's, it's vital to, uh, to what we're going to talk about today. So um, welcome, glad you're here, I'm Dion. Um, this week, uh, sorry, last couple of weeks, I finally saw the movie The Revenant. Has anyone seen that movie, The Revenant? Um, yeah, I put off seeing this movie for a while because it was just too cold outside. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I thought, my goodness, that looks like a cold movie. So uh, if you go and see it, make sure you pack a sweater or a jacket or something with you into the theater because you'll feel cold. I think even in summer you'd feel cold. Um, It's a movie, I won't spoil it for you, it's a movie though uh, starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Now I remember um, in college days, I was never never a fan of this guy. He seemed just kind of pouty and whiny to me. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's just kind of like, eh. Maybe it was that, or maybe it was that when I was in college, all of the girls in college liked him a little too much, for, for, uh, including the woman I ended up marrying. She, she was kind of into Leonardo DiCaprio for a while, so I was never a fan of him. But, uh, but he's all grown up now in the movie The Revenant. He plays a burly mountain man by the name of Hugh Glass, who actually is a historical figure. And again, I won't, I won't wreck the story for you, uh, but this movie is basically a, about a man who cheats death time Time after time after time, time it gets kind of ridiculous at some moments in the movie how, uh, how crazy his circumstances are and how he keeps surviving. But, but for me, I walked away saying, not only is this a story about a man who cheats death, for me, he cheated death time and time again for a reason. It was all out of the dedication he felt to his son. Now, uh, this last week, um, I, I got a chance to hear a speaker um, an inspirational speaker by the name of John O'Leary, someone who attends here at St. John invited me, and I was really grateful for the opportunity. Um, John O'Leary is a St. Louis native. He's a, he's a guy who uh, grew up here, and if you've lived in St. Louis for a little while, you might even remember his story, because at nine years old, John O'Leary was in his neighborhood, and he was watching some older boys in the neighborhood um, messing around with, with uh, gasoline. What they were doing is they were taking a small container of gasoline. They were pouring it out, just a little puddle of it on the sidewalk. They were standing way back. They were lighting a match, throwing it on, and watching uh, the gasoline dance. And as John O'Leary watched these older boys, he thought, man, that is so cool. And at nine years old, he, he didn't realize how dangerous what they were doing really was. And so he decided that um, he was going, going to, as soon as he could, try to do the same. And so on a Saturday morning when his folks were gone and his older brother was home with him, he went out into the garage. Uh, but at nine years old, he didn't quite understand how this all worked and didn't understand the right order. So he, uh, he lit a piece of cardboard and he set it down on the ground. And he went and he picked up a five-gallon gas can full of gas and, and he decided he was just going to pour out a little bit of the gas onto that, onto that cardboard, cardboard, that burning cardboard, um, t- to watch it flame up. Now, for those of us who are older and understand how this works, this is extremely dangerous. It's not the liquid that burns with gasoline. It's actually the vapor, right? And so um, that g- gas can exploded. Um, he was engulfed in flames. He ended up with burns on 100% of his body. 87% of, of his body was covered in third-degree burns. Now, this was back in 1987, and in 1987, um, even burn treatments, even though medicine was pretty good back then, burn treatments weren't quite as advanced. This became a national story. Again, if you were living in St. Louis at the time, you might remember it. Uh, and so John O'Leary talks about how he was laying in a hospital bed um, about a day or so after the incident. And he's, he's restrained, you know, he's got restraints on to keep his body from convulsing. And his eyes are swollen shut, and his, his lungs are burned, and he's got a tracheotomy to, to be able to breathe. And he's laying in bed. He can see nothing. He, he doesn't know what's going on. And um, all he is thinking is, I'm going to die. I, I think I'm going to die. 
and he's laying in that hospital bed, and he hears the door open to his hospital room, and he hears feet walking across the floor, and he hears someone drag a chair over to the side of the bed, and then he hears a voice, a voice that he actually recognized, a voice that said, kid, wake up. You're going to be fine. You're going to live. And when you get out of here, we're all going to celebrate John O'Leary Day at the ballpark. The voice was the voice of Jack Buck. Now, if you don't know who Jack Buck is, you must not be from St. Louis. Uh, Jack Buck was, you know, the, the announcer for the, for the Cardinals for a long time. And uh, Jack Buck was sitting there at his bedside. And John O'Leary said the moment he heard Jack Buck say, kid, wake up. You're going to live. And when you get out of here, we're going to celebrate John O'Leary Day. At the ballpark, John said instantly he knew he wanted to live. Uh, in fact, uh, just an incredible story he tells. I, I, I won't tell you all of it. If you ever get a chance to hear him speak, you should. Um, he talks about how Jack Buck came back several more times with the same message. And Jack Buck played a huge role in his life, in his recovery, and, and he went on to live. And he's a man of faith, and uh, he talks just uh, about, about, about conquering obstacles and, and the power of faith and the power of God and positivity. He's just really an incredible speaker. But I think about that. This kid who's near death, and these words, this, this purpose spoken over him that gives him a reason to live. Um, this week I was also talking to Chris Toomey, who's on our staff. Um, some of you know Chris Toomey. He's our Life Journey director. And he was telling me a story about his grandmother, uh, his mamaw, they called her, from Tennessee. Uh, mamaw. Uh, he told me about how at 90 years old she, um, she had, I think, some sort of cardiac failure. They took her to the hospital. You know, they tried to revive her. They put the paddles on her. She came back. But the doctor said, there, there's no way she's going to recover from this. Now, maybe you, maybe you have someone like this in your family where all they need is someone to tell them they can't do something. Uh, well, that was Chris's mamaw. So they said, no way is she going to recover from this. Well, of course she recovered. And she, you know, she bounced back. She was great. Uh, she lived another three years. But Chris said when she was about 93 years old, um, she started, she, her health started failing again. And um, she started to get kind of depressed. And she, she invited Chris to come and meet with her. She just wanted to meet with him one-on-one. -on -one. And she was there laying in a bed at his father's house. They had, they had built on an addition to their house for her. And uh, she's there laying in, his, uh, in her bed at his father's house. And, and she called him there. And, and she began to tell him how she was just, she was just tired of living. And, and Chris was astute enough to understand what this was. That this wasn't even as much as his grandmother asking for permission to let go of life. What it was, was his grandmother asking for permission to let go of her purpose. See, in 93 years of life, she had lived for her family. She, she had lived for her, her, uh, her spouse, her kids, her grandkids, her great-grandkids. And she and Chris had a really close relationship. And, and she just wanted to know. She wanted to know if it was okay with him, if she let go of that purpose of, of living for them, of caring for them, if they would be okay. And, of course, Chris said, it's okay. You can let go. And not surprisingly, you know how this works, she probably have a story like this. She died a short time later. Um, also this week, it's, it's been a busy week, um, I met with a good friend who's going through cancer treatments, who also attends here, just, just brutal cancer, cancer treatments. And um, he's actually post-treatment, but he's in that, that window where he's, he's hoping to begin recovery, and it's just going so slow. And we talked a lot that day about a lot of different things. But one thing he said, it just jumped out to me. He, he said, I just hope, I just hope God has a purpose in this. I just hope that God has a purpose in this. See, today as we conclude this series, It Is Well, 
I told you, we're, we're going to talk about an aspect of wellness, an aspect of health that is so essential that, that people hardly ever talk about. But, but when you have it in your life, when you have it in your life, it will enable you to thrive. It will enable you to conquer the most ridiculous, absurd, challenging circumstances. When you have the right thing in your life, it will enable you to be filled with wholeness, to live a full, enriched life. Of course, today I'm talking about purpose. I'm talking about purpose. Now, throughout this series, we've talked about, you know, mental health and physical health and spiritual health and relational health and financial health. Today, we're talking about having health in your purpose, having a healthy sense of calling or purpose in your life. Theologians sometimes call this vocation. And it's so vital, it is so vital for your ability to live, to thrive, to survive. Whether you're Hugh Glass, you know, going through the Rocky Mountains and the, and the South Dakota wilderness, or whether you're John O'Leary laying in a bed thinking about, I want to get out of here, I want to live because I want to see John O'Leary Day at the ballpark, right? It, it's so important when you're going through a struggle to say, if, if I just know that God has a purpose for this, if God can use this somehow, then I can keep going. But if it's pointless, I don't know if I can. Right? Having a healthy sense of purpose, it's so vital for our lives. And yet, because we're Americans, when we talk about purpose, when we talk about purpose, we make it into this really big complicated thing. Right? When we talk about purpose, we think, well, first, first I need to hire a consultant to walk me through a strategic process where I can come up with a mission statement, a vision statement, and supporting core values. Because that's how we do purpose. And, and that's not wrong, that's not bad, but sometimes I think that's just needlessly complex. It makes purpose sound way more intimidating than it needs to be. And I think that's part of the reason that Rick Warren, we just gave away his Daniel Plan book to Sarah, but before that he wrote another book called The Purpose Driven Life. And, and he took this big scary thing, this confusing thing called purpose, and he broke it down into five components. And as a result of taking something that we think is so complex and making it simple, he sold millions of books, he made millions of dollars, and so today I'm going to try to one-up Rick Warren. Because what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to break purpose down into really two components. Because I figure if he could break it down in five and make a million dollars, if I can get it to two, I'll make a billion. But I probably won't because I'm no Rick Warren and I know that. But, uh, but I want to talk to, you about, talk to you about purpose because I think there are two components to purpose. And one of them is one that the world understands really, really well and talks about all the time. And one is an aspect of purpose that is so important that the world hardly ever talks about. But, but it's vital. Both of them are important. I want to share both of them with you today. The first category of purpose I want to talk about is your core purpose. Your core purpose. Now, for, for those of us who are people of faith, this core purpose, it, it comes to us, it becomes ours in the moment of our baptism. In the moment of our baptism, God claims us. He does something miraculous in our lives, but he also puts on us a calling. In fact, several callings. The first calling is my calling as a son or daughter of God. See, I think some of us understand, you know, we understand what we're here to do professionally. We understand what we're here to do in our families. We understand some sides of our purpose very well, but we don't yet understand or we have not yet embraced how powerful this can be. To simply embrace our calling as a son or as a daughter of the Most High God. Because when you embrace this, man, it'll change your life. When you know that no matter what, whether you're good or bad, that God still looks at you and he says, you are my son, you are my daughter, I love you. In times of blessing, in times of struggle, God looks at you and, and, and either he's rejoicing over you or he's weeping with you because you're his son, you're his daughter. That this is a calling that can never be taken away from you. you certainly, you can, you can estrange yourself from your father in heaven, 
But he never will stop calling you his son. He'll never stop calling you his daughter. It's a powerful calling that we have, and and it applies to every one of us through our baptism. Now, if you've not been baptized, you want this for yourself. I know you do because it will be powerful in your life. Now, the second calling that comes as part of our core purpose is my calling to pursue life to the full. I have John 10.10 here because I remember reading this verse in college. It was probably the first time I had ever read it on my own. And immediately my mind was opened. Just the Spirit of God opened my mind to, to, to this idea that, that my calling, my, God's claim on me, is not just about getting me to heaven someday. Right? And, and my purpose as a Christian isn't just to you know, kind of pay my dues, come to church enough so that I can, I can maintain a relationship with God, I can keep my membership in good standing so that when I die I get to go to heaven someday. When I read these words from Jesus where he says, you know, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full or, or have life and have it abundantly. Immediately, like I said, my, my eyes were open and, and I realized that my calling is not just to get to heaven someday. My calling is to pursue life to the full. So if, if you know me, that's a big passion point for me. That, that infects a lot of our teaching in this church. It's also a passion point of Steve Howard. I mean, we, we believe in this, that, that Jesus died for more than just to get you to heaven someday. That his life was all about his death, his resurrection, was all about helping you discover life to the full. I think sometimes we are barely living. We are barely living. And yet we have a calling on us through our baptism. We have, we have a purpose to relentlessly pursue a fuller version of life than the version we're living today. And again, if you can hold on to that purpose, it's powerful. Now, how do you do that? How do you pursue life to the full? Well, it's, it's my calling to follow Jesus. Jesus once said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So you get that? If, if you want life to the full, the way you get that is you follow Jesus because he'll show you what true life looks like. Not only that, but when you're in a relationship with him, he will impart to you true life. See, this is a part of your calling. Not simply to believe. Not, not, to, not to know that Jesus died for you. Not to be able to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Part of your calling is to follow Jesus, to pursue him because in him is life. And there are probably lots of other things I could say. I'll just share one last one with you about your core purpose. Um, This is your calling to testify to God's goodness. And again, this is powerful when you grab hold of this. See, our our world isn't sure whether or not God is good. But I hope you know and you believe that God is good. And part of your purpose on this earth, part of your calling is to testify to the fact that God is so incredibly good. To demonstrate it through your words, through your actions, through your life. To show the world that there is a God in heaven who loves us, who has fullness for us. And he is good. He wants good things for us that we don't need to be afraid. See, see, these things make up your core purpose. And, And the beautiful thing about your core purpose is that it never changes. It says in the scriptures that God's call on us, it is irrevocable. It's irrevocable. He doesn't take it back. When he calls us to those things, he, he doesn't back off and, and say, never mind, I, I renege. I, I'm not, you're not called anymore. When God speaks those purposes over us, they become lifelong purposes for all of us, regardless of who we are. And so today, maybe that's where some of you just, just need to start and finish in your journey to discover greater purpose. Maybe you know purpose from, from a worldly standpoint, and we'll actually talk about that in a minute, but, but maybe you don't yet understand this other part of your purpose, your core purpose as a son, as a daughter of God, the purpose God has called you to in baptism. And I promise you, I promise you, if you wrote those things down, and, and if you started to ask God to help you embrace those things in your life, 
you would discover a, a kind of satisfaction and a kind of fullness that you've never felt before. See, it's your core purpose. And it's so important for you to discover, for, for you to discover health, wellness, and fullness in your life. But on top of that, on top of your core purpose, there is another kind of purpose, and and that's what I'll call your seasonal purpose. So you have a purpose that never changes, and then you have a kind of purpose that that changes all the time. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 3, uh, I put the King James Version here because I think this is how most of us know it. It A song was made out of it. Uh, It says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven or under the heavens. Do you see that? There is a season, and in each season... There is a purpose. There is a purpose for every season. And so throughout the different seasons of your life, your purpose is going to change. And today I want to dive a little further into this because I think this is where a lot of us get confused. We don't know how to contextualize this. See, see the purposes of God that he's called you to in baptism, those are, those are true for all of us. You don't need to contextualize them. It's, it's just true for you. But these purposes take a little more work to figure out. And so I want to drill deeper into these. And I want to go to, uh, not to Ecclesiastes, but to the words of Paul. So today we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 18. We actually were in Colossians a few weeks ago when we talked about relationships. And you'll see there's kind of this relationship thread that continues here. Uh, Except I don't want you to think about relationships as much as I want you to think about purpose as we look at these words from Paul. So let's look. He says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart do it and reverence for the Lord. Now, right away, I I guess I'm just going to guess what happened with some of you. We're having this very, you know, enlightened discussion about purpose and God's calling and how we're sons and daughters. And and then you get to the first verse there and you're like, wives, submit to your husbands. And all of that's out the window, right? It sounds like a bunch of archaic nonsense. Now, let me just say one thing before we go on. This is kind of a side note. These words from Paul are actually revolutionary. We just don't realize how revolutionary they are. See, if any other religious writer were writing in the time from any other religion, do you know how this same section would go if, if you stylized it for, for a different uh, religion or a different religious teacher? It would start off this way. It would say, husbands, make sure your wife submits to you. And husbands, yeah, go ahead and love your wives. But husbands, let me tell you this, or fathers, let me tell you this. Make sure those kids of yours, make sure they obey. And owners, make sure your, your servants, your slaves, you know, employers, make sure your employees, make sure they obey you and they do what's right. See, in every other culture of the time, women, children, slaves, they had no status. They had no freedom. They couldn't own property. They had no standing in society. So to, even to address those people, it was absurd. Who would do that? Our God would. See, see, these words from Paul are revolutionary because as he's talking to, to women, he's doing something that no one ever did. He, he talked to women and he said, women, I'm addressing you because you matter to God. You have freedom. You have choices. You have status. Whether the world tells you, do, tells you that you do or not, I'm telling you that you do. And so here's what I'm asking you to do out of your freedom. If you're married, I'm asking you to submit to your husband. 
Children, I mean, who talks to children in those days? No one. Children had no standing. They just did what they were told, you know, seen and not heard. Paul says, children, you matter to God. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to obey your parents. Servants, right? I mean, Paul goes through this and he talks to people who have no status and he talks to them as if they do because in God's sight, they do. So you may see these words as archaic and repressive. They're not. They're written from from a perspective of a God who looks at people and he sees their value. He sees that they're people of status. And yet because of the season they're in, he asks them to do something. See, See, that's what's underlying these words from Paul. Paul gives us some tips of how to discover our seasonal purpose. And the first step is just to figure out where you are. So Paul says, hey, if you're a wife, if you're a husband, if you're a child, if you're a father, if you're a servant, you're starting to figure out where you are. Today I would ask you to do the same if you want to figure out your seasonal purpose. Where are you? You know, are, are you a mother? And not just that, are you a mother to young kids? Or are you a mother to teenage kids? Or are you a mother to grown kids? Because I'm discovering with a near 13-year-old at home that being a parent to young kids is different than being a parent to a teenager, right? It's a different calling. You know, where, where are you at work? Are you at the beginning of your career? Are you well-established in your career? Are you now moving to the end of your career? That's an important distinction for you to understand. Where are you in your neighborhood? You know, who's living around you? I was talking to a woman recently, and she said that, uh, that a few years ago they had to downsize their house, and they moved out of this wonderful neighborhood full of young families and kids, and, and, and they moved to, as she described it, to Geriatric Row. Um, And and yet, she realized that in that move, in this new season, there might be a purpose for her there. She had to figure out where she is first. And she goes, I'm living in geriatric row. Okay, that's okay. What's, now what? Right? I mean, where are you in in terms of school? What, What classes are you taking? Who are your peers? Who are you surrounded with? The first step is just to figure out where you are. And and I think some of us, we kind of know where we are, but we don't sit and think, like, where am I really? Where has God planted me? Where has God placed me for this season? And and then the second thing Paul says, after you figure out where you are, is to ask what it means to be faithful there. Figure out where you are, then ask what it means to be faithful there. So Paul says, wives, if you're a wife, if this applies to you, let me tell you one way it means to be faithful there. I'm going to ask you to submit to your husband. You know, fathers... If you're a dad, I'm going to ask you not to embitter your children. Don't wear your children out, which again, revolutionary. But Paul begins to describe what it means to be faithful there. For you, I'd ask the same. What does it mean for you to be faithful in the place where God has put you? What does it mean for you? So you've got to figure out where you are, and then you've got to figure out what it means to be faithful there. So while you have a core purpose that doesn't ever change, in life you also have seasonal purposes There's a time for every season, for every purpose under heaven. And uh, you've got to learn to embrace that season, to grab hold of it, and ask what it means to be faithful there. Now, some of you are looking at this and you're going, well, could it it actually be that simple to do those things? You know, to to just figure out where I am and figure out what it means to be faithful there? That's all it takes to figure out my purpose? Maybe. Maybe that's all it takes. And for you, maybe not. Maybe this is going to be harder. But, but if you're one of these people who you're doing this and it's not working, let me just reassure you with what Paul says next. He says, now whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. See, whatever you do, 
If you don't exactly know what your purpose is, if you haven't exactly figured it out, Paul says, let me just take the pressure off. Whatever you do in life, if you work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, then it's good, he says. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving, no matter what you do. And then he follows up this way. He says, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And with God, there is no favoritism. So in this, Paul says, you know what? If you can't figure it out, it's okay. Just work at it with all your heart. And yet I still hold to the fact that I believe that if you can figure out both aspects of your purpose, your core purpose, and also your seasonal purpose, you will be on your way to a satisfying life, a rich life, a healthy life like you have never known. But I think for a lot of us, some of the things that stand in the way, and this is how I want to close today, uh, with a list of things that stand in our way, uh, mistakes that we make, when we're trying to figure out our purpose, I think it's actually pretty simple. I think it, I I frankly believe that it is as simple as saying, where am I right now? And what does it mean to be faithful here? I believe it's that simple to figure out your seasonal purpose. For some of you, you you may not buy that, but, but here's some things that I know that are standing in all of our way of making this happen. The first thing is looking too far ahead. Looking too far ahead. Tell me you're not guilty of this sometimes. Again, in America, we not only want to know what our purpose is, we want to know a five and ten year plan, right? And if making a five and ten year plan for your life, a twenty year plan for your life, if that comes easy for you, great, go do it. But if that doesn't come easy for you, don't worry. In fact, I think sometimes looking too far ahead keeps us from being faithful with where we are now, Right? When you start to think about what life is going to be like in a future season and you're making plans for that season and you start to be eager for that season, it sometimes keeps you from being faithful in your present season. So I think one of the things that keeps us from figuring out our purpose, the reason this sounds so simplistic to say, where am I? What does it mean to be faithful here? I think one of the reasons is, is, is that we're just looking too far ahead. We don't, want, we don't want to know what's going on now. That doesn't sound very fun. Or, or how about this next one? Uh, trying to be too grandiose. Right? Does anyone struggle in this room from this? Trying to be too grandiose. I know I do. Sometimes I'm thinking, well, gosh, I, f- I, feel, like, I feel like God has a great purpose for my life. And, and look what I'm doing. You know, like, is this, is this, is this big enough? Is this, is this complete enough? Is this full enough? Like, surely God has a bigger vision for my life than this. What, what is it? I'm trying to be too grandiose with my life sometimes. And maybe you struggle with the same. Now, now, in our culture, we, we often do this. We get so fixated on, on big things. And, and so the reason we can't embrace our purpose today, our seasonal purpose today, is because we don't like it. It doesn't sound significant enough. It just doesn't feel like it matters enough. We, we look at other people's purpose and what they're doing, and we just go, gosh, mine seems so small in comparison. It's not big enough. You know, if you ever feel that way, as, as you look at your seasonal purpose, as you look at the place you're in life uh, the place in life you are right now and what it means to be faithful there. And you look around and you just go, yeah, but it seems so small. Let me just remind you what Paul said again. He says, whatever you do, see, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, not for human recognition, not for your parents, not for other people in your circles who may look down on you for not having a big enough purpose. See, see for Paul, he would say, the degree Um, or let me put it this way, Um, what you do doesn't matter near as much as if you've got the right attitude about it, if you're working for the Lord. Or or I could say it this way, that that God could do more. I I believe this, that God can do more with someone who's fully devoted to something small 
God can do more with someone who's fully devoted to something small than someone who's just piddling around with something grand. Right? If you don't believe me, just think about the people in your own life. Think about the people on you who you are, people, people in your life for whom you are most grateful. The people who have had the greatest impact on your life. Think about them for a second. Are they people who did grandiose things with their life? Maybe. But I'd venture to say few of us would, would think of someone who's actually, actually did something grandiose. I think for most of us, the people who meant the most in our lives were people who were fully devoted to something small. They were okay with a small sense of purpose. They didn't, they didn't need grandiosity. They were okay with, with being faithful with something small, and they devoted themselves to it, right? So, I mean, maybe it's a parent or a grandparent or a coach or a teacher. In fact, right now, I want you to think about that person. Someone who, who has meant the world to you in your life. Someone who's made an enormous difference in your life. Specifically, what was it that they did that made such a difference for you? And now here's what I want you to do. Literally, I want you to do this. I want you to turn to the person next to you. Whether they're a stranger, whether they're someone you came in with, it's okay. And I want you to name the person's name and say specifically, just in one sentence, what it, what it is that they did that made them so great in your sight. So go ahead and do that right now. Seriously, I will wait you out until I see you turning and talking to each other. Name the person and what is it in a sentence that made them so great. Those of you watching online, you can do this too or just talk to yourself. It's okay. I love this, by the way. You, you sharing with each other just reminds us that we are part of a family here. I also think there's a lot we can learn from each other. So hope you don't mind if we do that a little more often than maybe we have in the past. I think it's important. Grandiosity, right? This, this vision of grandeur, it often keeps us from being faithful and making a difference like the people that maybe you just named. Specifically, I'm reminded of, of Hebrews 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, the writer to the Hebrews, he goes through this section and it's, it's called the Hall of Fame in scripture and uh, he goes through the section where he he writes about all of these really well-known famous people in the bible and so he talks about noah the guy who built the ark and he talks about abraham who's the father of uh, many nations and he talks about moses the guy who did all these miracles in egypt and and he goes down the list and he talks about all these really well-known famous people and then he mentions a woman named rahab now in all honesty how many of you could tell me if i called on you how many of you could tell me exactly who Rahab is and what she did in the Old Testament? Maybe, maybe a few of us, yeah. A few of us might. I think a lot of us wouldn't know. But do you know who Rahab was? Does anyone want to shout it out who Rahab was? The Rahab was mentioned in, yeah, she's a prostitute. It's kind of different. And as far as we know, the only significant thing that Rahab ever did was one, one time there were some good guys from Israel who were spying on some of their foreign enemies and uh, they came to Rahab's house and they asked her for help to hide from the bad guys. And so she took them into her house, she hid them, and then when the bad guys showed up at her front door, she lied to them 
And then she let the good guys get out safely from the city and spared their life. That's it. That's all she did. That, I mean, she probably did other stuff in her life, but that's all we know about. And here you have, and just, just, just think about this for a second. Here you have in Hebrews chapter 11, you have a prostitute who, as far as we know, the only thing she was really good at was lying and playing hide and seek. That's it, right? You have her named in the same part of scriptures as the guy who parted the Red Sea. Now, I could be wrong, but what that says to me is that your purpose doesn't have to be grandiose that there's real value in saying, where am I right now? And what does it mean to be faithful in this moment? That that God loves that. He smiles upon people who will do that, that those people matter. They can make a difference, even if it doesn't seem grandiose. And then the final thing I want to share with you, a mistake that we make that I think is standing in your way of figuring out your seasonal purpose is being too shaped by the culture's values. I, I think this is true for all of us. See, our culture, it rewards certain kinds of people. It values some people over others. So today you're going to watch Peyton Manning, who can throw a football really well, and the guy's making millions of dollars. And you know what? I think it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I love Peyton Manning. I actually like Cam Newton too. I think, wow, great. But you think like, man, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? That in our culture, we reward people who can throw a football or run a football. In our culture, we reward people who can lead a company really handsomely. In our culture, we reward people who can entertain us. We reward people who are beautiful, people who can act, people who can sing. And meanwhile, in our culture, we tend to, we tend to downplay or ignore people who maybe uh, fix our cars or pick up our trash or keep our utilities running or serve us our lunch. Now, there may be reasons for that economically, and I'm not debating those today, but here's what happens for so many of us as we struggle with our own sense of purpose. We get too shaped by what our culture values. We think about what our culture values, and we think that's the stuff that actually really matters in the grand scheme of things, and it's not. See, see, what the culture values is totally arbitrary. By and large, it's a bunch of garbage. There is no list anywhere in the Bible where God says, these are the people who are really important and these are the people who are unimportant. That's not how God thinks. Instead, God says to to women and children and slaves and husbands and fathers, he says, you know what, if if you want to please me, if you want to delight me, if you want to use your life for something that matters, simply acknowledge where you are and ask yourself what it means to be faithful there. I was reminded this week that when your toilet is backing up and overflowing, the most important person in the world to you is not the president of the United States. It is not the the king of a country. It is a plumber with a snake, right? Right? And see, in our culture, we, 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 we exalt some and we marginalize others and we act as if there are these fixed lines. But the reality is in our lives, we're all marginalized and exalted at different times. There are some days where the plumber feels like, the, like a nobody. There are some days where he is the hero of the day, right? And that's true of all of us. That's how it actually is in God's sight. So, so don't get so caught up in what the culture values as you wrestle with your own sense of purpose because from God's perspective, it is incredibly meaningful to him. When you do these two things, you, you figure out where you are and you ask what it means to be faithful there. So you've got a core purpose that never changes, but throughout your life, God will take you in and out of different seasons. And as you put those two things together, you can discover a satisfying, healthy, abundant life. I love the way Mark Twain put it. Maybe you've heard this quote. He said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. 
I hope today you're just, just maybe a step closer, an inch closer to finding out why. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you.